Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are with us online. Are you guys excited that you at least thought about taking out a sweater this morning? Or like you kind of starting to feel a little bit better. Uh, We were talking this morning with some of our team. We were discussing what our favorite parts of fall is. And uh, we we had a good time. Some people were like, you know, pumpkin pie, football, and there was all kind of things. Probably some of the same things that you love. One of the things that we love here at City Walk about the fall is our pumpkin party. Uh, It was an event that we did even before our church started as kind of an interest party for our community before we even started, and uh, we have just enjoyed doing it every single year. And this year, if you didn't already know, we're going to actually be doing three pumpkin parties in three separate communities. And this is just one of those ways that we just get a chance to tell our community, hey, we are for you, we love you, we want to be a blessing to you. And so on your way out today, pick up maybe four or five of these invite cards. This might be the easiest thing you could ever invite somebody to. Uh, It's a great opportunity for them to come and just have a great time as a family Also, we're looking for about 30 more people that would volunteer at one of those parties. And so you can actually volunteer in the app. Uh, There's a spot there you can sign up. And if you would do that, it's going to be a really great day. Uh, It's actually going to be a really great two days, as we'll be doing it on two separate days. Uh, But just a great way to, to love our community. And it's really one of the things that I love so much about this gathering is your heart for our community and the way that you just serve and love people. Josh mentioned uh, being able to serve the football team. And that's just one of many, many opportunities that you over this past few months have just kind of set aside your agenda. You set aside kind of your time frame and you said, hey, how can I serve my community? How can I put someone else's needs ahead of myself? How can I put a smile on somebody else's face and you've done that in so many different ways, and you've, you've done that uh, in, in different parts of our community. And there's a pastor friend of mine, he, he said it this way, and I, I love this statement, we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving. And, and while uh, you, you read that statement, and, and you, you, we all know this to be true, uh, you, you read that statement and you think, you know what, that, that's so true. And, and we think about the opportunities that maybe you've had, whether it was this year or maybe years ago, where you had an opportunity to serve somebody, you had an opportunity to put a smile on somebody else's face. We, we all know that serving and, and being unselfish and kind of giving of ourselves is a great thing. But at the same time, here's what we also know, it's really hard to do. 
And, and as, as fun as it is to serve somebody, as fun as it is to, to do something nice for somebody, to show somebody un- unselfishness, we, we all know this, that man, every single one of us battles with putting ourselves first. Every single one of us battles with selfishness. Where, yeah, we, we enjoy serving other people, but man, when I wake up in the morning, the first person I think about is me. And if you have little kids, you know this, or grandkids, you know, man, they didn't come out sharing, they came out screaming. And, and, and from the very beginning, no one had to teach us selfishness. Nobody had to teach us to keep all the toys and not want to share. No, no one had to teach us to put ourselves first. It comes so naturally. And you could, I mean, we could have a case study right now if we just put a camera in the preschool room. And we would see this play out as, as it's just a natural thing that we, as people and as individuals, from the very beginning of our existence, we have thought about ourselves. We've thought about our needs first. We put ourselves first to the point where we're even this sick. We're so sick that even some of the good things we do are motivated by selfish for selfish reasons. Like even some of the ways that we serve others, if we're honest, there's a little bit of an agenda in our heart for ourselves, even about that. That's how crazy we are on the inside. And like we've talked about over these last few weeks, selfishness is just like some of those other behaviors. And we've talked about people-pleasing. We've talked about anger. We've talked about pornography. And some of these destructive habits and sinful tendencies that we have that, that we, instead of having victory over them, we find ourselves just kind of managing them. And selfishness would fit right into that same category. It's one of those things all of us know if we're honest. Yeah, I struggle with that at times. And instead of having victory, it's, it's just one of those things that like anger and like people pleasing and like some of the other sinful habits that we have, we just kind of manage instead of having victory over. And all the while, our enemy is, is kind of giving us a, a golf clap. Because here's what he knows. If he can get us to take selfishness lightly, he knows it will lead us away from God's best for our life. And, and so Satan, one of his strategies is, is and there used to, there still is, it's an older book called Respectable Sins. If you've ever read that book, and, and we have things in our life that if we're honest, you got the, the big stuff, it's like, man, I would never do that, or man, if I did that, I'd be really a bad person. But then we have other things that, that are sinful that the Bible talks about that we would say are more respectable sins, and we kind of put up with them in our life, and we kind of manage them, and, and, and everybody does these, and a little gossip here, a little pornography here, a little people-pleasing here, a little struggle with selfishness here. It's not that big of a deal. And all the while, Satan's saying, yep, you're right. It's not that big of a deal. Because he knows if we try to manage and we take lightly some of these things that we're missing out on God's best. And, And you know this, selfishness is not a new issue. It's been an issue since the beginning of time. And in fact, Paul a guy that wrote much of the New Testament. It's, it's a, 
He wrote about it, and he was also a guy that in his life had times where he struggled with it. Before meeting Jesus, if you're new to church or if you're not sure who Paul is, before meeting Jesus, Paul was a guy that actually was against Jesus and against anything about Jesus. And he was a really selfish guy. He was a guy that had his own agenda, and he would stop at nothing to basically eliminate people that were going to slow him down for getting what he wanted and from really accomplishing his agenda, which was to eliminate Jesus' followers and people that followed Jesus' teachings. But after meeting Jesus, this guy Paul, who, man, was a very selfish guy with his own agenda, he was transformed. He was transformed so much so that he used the rest of his life And made personal sacrifices for the rest of his life so that other people could hear the good news about Jesus. And in a letter he wrote from prison to the church at Philippi, he writes and he talks about selfishness. And he talks about it from a perspective where he gives us some really tangible ways that we can have victory. And I think on the front end... We just need to admit, I mean, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, whether you're investigating faith, no matter kind of where you are on the spectrum of faith, no matter what age you are, let's all just on the front end, just admit, hey, I have a tendency. I have something inside of me that if left to myself, I'm going to put myself first every time. There's something in me that pulls me that way. And Paul knew that, and so he wrote to the church of Philippi. So if you have your Bible or you can look in the app, look with me at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. He says this, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Basically, Paul, he kind of starts this section of his letter. This was just a letter that he wrote from prison. And so he kind of starts this section of his letter by saying, hey, if if there's any way that you've kind of been encouraged by your relationship with Christ, if there's any love that you've experienced, if there's if there's any affection or sympathy, if, if, if being a part of, of the body of Christ and, and being united with the Holy Spirit in a body, and if that's been helpful to you, and he kind of takes the first phrase or two of this section to kind of remind his people that he's writing to of the benefits that they have from a relationship with Christ. And sometimes I think, And maybe I'm just looking at myself in the mirror right now. Sometimes I think one of the reasons that I'm so selfish is I forget how blessed I am. I forget how much God has done in my life. I forget the, 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 just the benefits of knowing Jesus, and, and I take those things for granted. And so Paul, as he begins writing about selfishness and kind of putting some handles on how we can have victory over it, he, he starts by saying, hey... Have you been encouraged because you have a relationship with Jesus? Have, have you felt cared for? Have, you felt, have, have people shown you affection? Is there something special about being part of a body and, and being united in the spirit? Like He just reminds them. 
And then what he does is he said, okay, in response to those things, in response to what Jesus has done in you, in response to some of the benefits that you've received because of your relationship with Jesus, he says this. He says, complete my joy. He's basically saying, you want to make Uncle Paul really, really happy. Let me tell you how you can do it. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, basically, based on what you have experienced through your relationship with Christ, based on all the benefits and just how, how important it is that you have Jesus, based on that, he says, I want you to be unified. I want you to put each other first. I want there to be a unity about you because of your relationship with Jesus. And that word unity, and I love this phrase because it gives you such a good picture of it. It basically means this, to pull in the same direction. You know this, whether it's sports, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, whether it's the marriage, whether it's parenting, you know this, having the same mission and having the same goal and moving towards that together is really, really important if you're going to accomplish anything. I mean, think about it. In marriage, if, if you don't have the same goals financially, if you don't have the same goals as a parent, if you and your spouse are pulling in two different directions, it's really tough. If you're in a business and, and, and the marketing department and the production department have two separate goals and two separate agendas and they're pulling in different directions, it really makes make producing things and being successful really hard. And, and unfortunately, the church hasn't always been really good at pulling in the same direction. In fact, in many cases, and it might be why you walked away from the church for a while, there seems to be a lot of different agendas in the church world. And what Paul's saying is, he's saying, hey, because of your relationship with Jesus, it should lead you to pull in the same direction. And here's what he wasn't saying. He, wasn't, he was calling them to unity, not uniformity. He wasn't passing out bowling shirts. Like, all right, we all got to wear our same little bowling shirt and all look the, the... Like, if you've ever been on a bowling team, you probably, maybe you loved it, but I was on a little bowling team when I was a kid, and one of the things I didn't want to ever happen is I didn't want to have to wear the same little, you know, like bowling shirt, little two buttons here, collar, with a weird-looking emblem on it. Like, that wasn't... And you've seen it. You've seen, and here's what Paul wasn't doing. He wasn't saying, hey, you guys all have to look the same. You all have to be exactly the same. I want you to be uniform. I want you to look exactly like everybody else. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I want you to be unified. I want your hearts moving towards the same things. Unity, not uniformity. I want you to pull in the same direction. And there's something very special. And you've, you've experienced this probably. When a group of people that are maybe totally different from different backgrounds, people that, that maybe grew up differently and just have different things in their life, that they look different, 
different cultures, but when you bring those people together, all these different people around the same goal and the same mission and the same heart, and to watch them move towards something together in unity is special. And if you've ever been on a team like that, you know that. One of the, the great teams like that that I, I grew up watching was the 90s Chicago Bulls. And I should have had the, the music, you know, where they got introduced. That would, have, that would have hit a home run if I would have had that ready to go. Uh, but, but if you, and if you're not a basketball fan, you probably still know about the 90s Chicago Bulls, even if you hate basketball. And the reason you know, you probably know about them for two reasons. One is because of this guy right here named Michael Jordan that everyone knows about. He was on the Bulls. The second reason you probably may know about them is because they were pretty dominant in the 90s. They won three championships in a row. Michael went and played baseball for a few years, and then he came back and won three more championships. But this is a really, really great example of a team that was unified, but wasn't uniform. They were not all, I mean, you have this guy right here, and you can barely see him. Maybe you can see him up on the screen, or that one's a lot bigger. But Dennis Rodman. Like he was, he's one of the most interesting, weird, and all the other words that you could think of people in the world. But if, if there's a documentary about him, I'm like glued because he's just a different kind of guy. If you watch the, the, the documentary about the 90s Bulls, The Last Dance, you saw that. And, and then you had this coach, Phil Jackson, that was like, Man, he, he was kind of like a different breed himself, had different beliefs. And, and you had all these different guys that came together and had one mission, one focus, one heart, even though they were so different, they did things different, they were from different backgrounds, and they accomplished so much because of their unity. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, and you, you may be here just investigating faith or you're watching online, even if you're not a Jesus follower, the idea of unity should pique your interest as you think about it. This idea of pulling in the same direction towards something. And Paul begins to unpack it a little bit more in the next few verses. He says this. He says, do nothing. And he means nothing. He didn't say nothing because he meant something else. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This idea of selfish ambition is basically advancing some, your own agenda. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. The idea of conceit is empty glory. It's the person that just talks a really, really big game and is all about themselves but yet they're so empty, and it, a lot of what they say isn't even true. He says, hey, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Instead of living your life kind of pushing your own agenda, Instead of living your life for kind of empty glory all about yourself, like it making everything about you, even if it's not true, just putting yourself out there all the time. Instead of that, he says, I want you to have humility. And basically what he means by that is value yourself appropriately. 
Like, yeah, you, you should value yourself, but you shouldn't value yourselves disproportionately to someone else. Value yourself appropriately and let each of you look not only on his own interest, but on the interest of others. Have the same concern for other people that you would have for yourself. See, a person whose goal in life is self-fulfillment and self-advancement probably doesn't know what it means to experience unity. And honestly, they're probably a pretty lonely person. If, if, if in their agenda, if their agenda is advancing themselves, if their agenda is, is making everybody know them and advancing their own kind of agenda and fulfilling their own life, if that's their sole agenda, if that's what their goal is, then they're probably someone that's lonely and doesn't know what unity is. Instead of selfishness, instead of disunity, instead of clawing through life to accomplish your own agenda, which was really normal in Rome and is also pretty normal in America, instead of that, there's a better way. And Paul tells us about it. It's Jesus' way. He says this. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. This attitude, have this mind or this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Basically what Paul is saying, he's saying instead of putting yourself first, instead of advancing your own agenda, instead of making your life about fulfillment of your own kind of everything you want, he says, don't do that. Instead, have the mind of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. And he unpacks it a little bit. He says, who though he was in the form of God, and we'll come back to what that word form means here in a second, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. Paul, what he does is he encourages the listener to have the mind of Christ, to have the mindset that puts other people's interest first and is free of selfish ambition. See, in order to really understand what Paul's saying here, we have to know a little bit more about what he's saying about Jesus. And, and in this last verse, he uses this word, he uses the word form of a servant and he uses the word form of God. And, and here's what the word form means. It means the very essence. It's not a part that you're playing, but it's who you are to the core. And so here's what Paul's saying, because he's telling us, he's saying, I want you to have the same mind, the same attitude, the same outlook as Jesus, who is a form in the form of God. And here's what he's saying. Jesus is God. It's not a part he plays. It's not, hey, he's God right now, but he won't be God later. No, no, no. Jesus at his core is God. But he also says this. He uses that word form when he talks about Jesus as a servant. And here's what he's saying. He's saying Jesus isn't only God, but Jesus is a servant. He doesn't play a part of a servant he doesn't become a servant for a certain part of eternity and then he's not anymore. 
No, no, no. As much as Jesus is God, Jesus is also a servant at his very core. That's what he's about. And what would a God who at his core is a servant do in reaction to a broken world? What would he do? And Paul has just told us, like, what would if there was if there was a God that was at his core a servant? What would he do in response to the brokenness and the ugliness of this world? And Paul, he tells us, he says, he says he would leave heaven to come to earth. See, we, 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 we hear that and we read it and we even sing about it sometimes, but that's a pretty big deal. That Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to earth. And he didn't come to earth as, like, and put himself in a position of king or live in a palace. He came to earth as a poor kid. That there wasn't even a room for him when he was born. He was born where animals are born. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth. The second thing that Paul tells us is that Jesus set aside the independent use of his attributes. Like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Like, voluntarily, Jesus did not use his power to help himself while he was here on earth. He could have. He, he never lost his power. But, but Jesus, he emptied himself. He, he set aside the use of of that power that he could have helped himself. He could have had many, many advantages, but he never used his power for himself while he was here on earth. Why would you do that? Like if you had the power that God has, why would you on purpose set it aside and all the while it's right here and you could use it? But he never did. Johnny Hunt, he said it this way. He said, he laid aside the expression of his divine essence, but not the possession of them. And Jesus, he voluntarily put himself under the authority of God the Father. But then, and here's another thing. And again, what would a God who at his core is a servant do? In response to the brokenness of this world, he would come to this world. He would become like us. He would set aside the use of his attributes. And then part of that becoming like us is he became 100% human forever. 100% human, 100% God. He was always 100% God, but when he came to earth, he became a human, and he will be 100% human for the rest of eternity. It's crazy. See, he did this because at his core, it wasn't a part he's playing. It wasn't, hey, this is the, the best strategy for right now to move the thing forward. No, at his core, he's a servant. At his core, He's humble. At his core, he's thinking of your needs and my needs above his own. At his core, it's who he is. He's God. He's a servant. And, and Paul goes on and he, he just unpacks even to a greater extent how Jesus served us by giving his life. He says this in verse 9. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, when he came to earth, he came knowing and voluntarily doing what he did. No one coaxed him into it. No one, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. He left heaven knowing he was coming here to be crucified and give his life. Let's be honest. When we sacrifice, when we serve, I mean, let's be honest. We, we, measure, it. we measure it first. We evaluate it first. We're like, eh, if I give up two hours, am I going to be a little late to watch the game? I probably, I'll tell them I need to leave 15 minutes early. Like, you know, we measure our service and it's like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice a little. I'm going to serve a little, but uh, make sure it doesn't totally mess up my agenda. And, and I'm talking to myself. Jesus, he came, didn't measure it. It wasn't like, well, I'll come for a while, but I'm just going to have to take a few weekends back up in heaven because this place is a mess. No, he came. He became one of us, knowing that he would go to the cross and if you don't know the story of Jesus, Jesus was obviously born. We celebrate his birthday at Christmas. And while he was here on earth during a 33-year life here on earth, he never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He never had a whoops. He never had a selfish moment. And at the age of 33, he was with some of his friends, and they were praying in a garden. And about one or two in the morning, a group of soldiers and kind of that the religious leaders had gathered together. They came and they took Jesus and they arrested Jesus. And for the rest of the evening, they put him on trial and they actually put him on a few trials and they brought false witnesses in to lie about him. And, and they, they spit in his face. And, and while they were putting him on trial, they tried to humiliate him. And then... They did what was only done for the worst. They crucified him. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment used for non-Romans who were the worst of criminals. And so after that night of lying about him and spitting at him and humiliating him and roughing him up a little bit, it went to a whole nother level. They beat him so severely that the scriptures say he didn't even look like a human being. And then he voluntarily laid on a cross and allowed men to nail him to the cross made of wood that he created. And he died. He shed his blood. He was humiliated, beaten, nailed to a cross. See, when we think about, and this is what Paul was trying to describe to us, he was trying to just give us a little picture as we struggle with selfishness ourselves and we have a tendency to want to put ourselves first and be a little bit more proud and have our own agenda. He's saying, hey, let me, let me just give you the small picture of the mind of Christ let me give you this small picture of what Jesus did for you. It's hard to even describe. It's hard to even understand. There's not an illustration in this world that really captures what Jesus did. See, we are incapable 
of comprehending how high Jesus was and how low he came for us. And it wasn't because it was the best thing to do in this moment to move the thing forward. It was because he, at his very core, was a servant. At his very core, he wanted a relationship. He wanted to serve you and me and the world by providing a way for us to have a relationship with God. And Paul, as he, as he closes this section, he, he says this in verse 9. He says, basically, based on what Jesus did, based on who Jesus is, verse 9, he says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. His name, it's, it's not merely a title. It refers to his person. It refers to the position of dignity and honor that Jesus has and deserves. Verse 10, he says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord means master or ruler. To the glory of God the Father. Paul says, one day, every single knee. And the way he describes it, he says, man, every knee which includes humans, angels, demons, Satan himself, every single knee will acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. And here's the thing. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating faith, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, this next statement is so important and I hope you'll understand it. See, some will bow the knee to him in this life as their Savior and Lord. Some of you have done that. Others will reject him in this life and will bow a knee to him, not as their Savior, but as Lord. But here's the thing, and Paul's real clear about it. Every knee will bow. Every knee. And so, if you just put you know, two and two together, and if you have a, a selfish moment for a second, you might say, why wouldn't I do that on the front end? If I know I'm going to bow my knee to Jesus one day, why wouldn't I do it today so that I can spend eternity with him in heaven? If I'm going to do it after I die anyway and not spend eternity with heaven, why wouldn't I make that decision today when it does benefit me? And again, it's not to be selfish, but it just makes sense. And the, the, the only reason someone wouldn't do that is if Satan had blinded them to think for, in some way that saying no to Jesus is a good idea. And Paul's trying to say, he's saying, why, why would you, I've just described to you the ultimate servant. I've described to you the ultimate love and unselfishness and, and this, this person and, and who is 100% God that we can now try to be like. Why wouldn't you say yes to him? 
All he wants for you is good. He's, he's, basic, he's throwing you a life raft. Why would you push it away? When one day you're going to get on that life raft eventually, and it's going to be hopeless if you do it and it's too late. See, as you consider, and just think, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, as you consider the wisdom that kind of Paul's sharing with us, and again, he's in prison, he's writing this from prison, and, and, and he's writing us about this idea of a selfless life that follows Jesus' example. As you think about that, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, when you think about this idea of a selfless life that follows Jesus' example, like what emotions kind of bubble up in you? Maybe for you, you'd say, man, there's some optimism that, that bubbles up. There's some hope. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I struggle with selfishness, but man, there's some hope. Maybe for you, it's, it's some, some apathy. And if you're honest, you're like, you know what? Eh. Okay, thanks, Jesus. Maybe it's, there's some discouragement that kind of bubbles up because it's like for you, you, just, you, you know you've made some really selfish decisions in your life and you're like, am I really ever going to have victory in this area? Like, is this becoming more like Jesus really a thing that could ever happen in my life in a tangible way? Maybe it kind of bubbles up in you some curiosity. It's like, you know what? I'm not sure I 100% buy into the whole Jesus thing yet, but... Man, I'm kind of curious about this. This seems like something I might want to look into a little bit more. And I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be fun if we could schedule an appointment with Paul and say, hey, man, what's your favorite drink at Starbucks? I'll buy it for you. Let's head over to Starbucks. And I want to know a little bit more about how this selfless life and humility and putting others first. I want to know a little bit more for kind of how that plays out in my life. And I think when we would sit down with Paul based on his writings, that, that he would be a guy that would be pretty humble about this. And as far along as he is in his walk with Jesus, he would probably admit that, you know what? There's still times in my life that I struggle with selfishness. There's still times in my life where I definitely want to put myself first. But, but I just made a decision a long time ago because Paul said, I, I used to be about an agenda. I used to be about power. I used to kind of do all those things that would put me in a position to be looked at by others as important. And I just came to a spot where that just felt so empty and I found myself angry and going towards the wrong things and Jesus changed everything for me. And I I know that probably if we were sitting down with Paul, he would just probably talk to us about how this plays out in just a daily walk. And for some reason, I don't know who taught us this, but for some reason... Along the way, we have made our relationship with Jesus about one decision instead of a decision being a starting point to a walk of becoming more like Jesus for the rest of our life. And I think that's where Paul would understand that probably better than any of us. Yeah, there was a transformative decision where I changed directions and I became a follower of Jesus. And it was a really, really important day in my life. But you know what? So was the next day. 
Because the next day I was walking to become more like this Jesus who had transformed me. And I think Paul would walk us through that. It was something that he, he understood. For some of you, you may have walked away from the church because you, you heard people make this thing all about one decision, but then you saw no change in anyone's life. So they're like, yeah, I did this, or I went to church, I walked that aisle, I raised my hand, I made a decision, but they're still a jerk. They're still a terrible neighbor. They're still, they're still a thief. They still cheat. They're still, you know, doing stuff on their what, like with other people. Like, what? And so maybe for you, it's like, eh, y'all keep that. Or what Paul's talking about, he's talking about a decision that starts a walk that changes our life to become more like Jesus every single day. And one of the key areas is in humility and selfishness and what we do with that. So no matter where you find yourself on the faith journey, let's, let's just ask ourselves this. How would your life look different if you followed Jesus' example? And it wasn't just about one decision, but every single day you tried to follow the example that Jesus laid out of humility and putting others first, putting others' agendas above your own. How would that change your relationships? Just think about it. How would that change your work? What would be different? What would, what would be different in your marriage if, if you really said, I'm going to take seriously this idea of walking in humility the way Jesus did? Yeah, I'm so thankful that I'm saved. I'm so thankful that I started a relationship with Jesus. But, but I'm also, man, I'm excited about the process of, of Jesus making me new on the inside and helping me become more like him. I want to walk that walk of humility and selflessness the way he did. What if instead of trying so hard to live for Jesus, what if we allowed Jesus to live his life through us? You're like, what? That's a cute statement probably for a coffee cup, but what does that actually mean? So if I read my Bible right, when you made that decision, when if, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that, that decision, that day that you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside you. Not sometimes, not he comes and goes. No, he's there inside you forever. You have God living in you. And, and since the Spirit of God, since the Spirit of Jesus lives inside you, if Jesus was in you, let's just think about it, how would Jesus encourage your spouse? Like if he actually was in you and you like let him just... Live out his life in you. How would Jesus, how would he encourage my spouse? If, it was, if, if Jesus was in me and I just allowed him to live through me. Jesus, how would you disciple my children? Jesus, how would you interact with my coworkers? Jesus, how would you love my neighbor? 
If I was just a vessel that you could live your life, that your humility, that your graciousness, that your unselfishness, if it just lived through me, what would that look like? See, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't have to manage selfishness. Like, we can have victory. We can have victory over selfishness. See, one day, one day, people are going to gather in a room, people that love you, and they're going to remember you. They're going to remember your life. And if that day was today, would you be remembered as a servant? Would you be remembered as someone who reminded others of Jesus? Because as, as foreign as that might sound, that's actually possible. It's possible that you could be remembered by the people that love you the most as someone who looked like Jesus, as someone who was humble like Jesus, not perfect, but someone who reminded people of Jesus. And if that matters to you, and it might not, I mean, if it doesn't, you don't have to pretend. If that doesn't matter to you, if, if you don't... You don't care if you remind people of Jesus, that's okay. But if it does matter, if one day when those people gather to remember you, if it's important to you that you remind people of Jesus, that your kids remember you as someone who is an example of who Jesus is, that your neighbor, even if they haven't embraced Jesus, they know that, you know what, you've lived a lot like what they've read about Jesus. If that's important to you, would you be willing to pray this simple prayer this week? And we'll put it up on the screen. Maybe you pray it once. Maybe you pray it every day. But would you be willing to pray this honestly and sincerely before God this, this week? Jesus, I need you so that I can follow your example and put others first this week. This is this, this first part so important because, and we all know this, because haven't we tried to do it without him? We've, we've tried to kind of fake it till we make it, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to show my wife unselfishness, it's not going to be because I'm a good person. If I'm going to be gracious with my kids, I'm going to be gracious with the people I work with, if I'm going to put their agenda and what's important to them before what's important to me, that's not natural. Maybe it is for you. And if it is, write a book. And, and I'll love to, love to read it. But it's not natural. You know what I think about first when I wake up? I actually think about two things first. I usually think I have to pee. And number two, I need coffee. I'm just being out. You're like, that's way too much information, Chris. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about me when I wake. You know what? At the end of the day, what I need to do to kind of get my mind back focused, I have to spend time in prayer as I'm laying in bed. I usually fall asleep praying because I'm constantly thinking about me and what I want to accomplish and my agenda and this and that and this. And I just need to focus myself because it's not natural. And maybe it is for you, but it's not for me. And so I have to pray this sincerely before God. God, I need you to even follow your example. I can't even follow your example by myself. I need you to empower me to follow you. 
So maybe you would just humble yourself this week and maybe write this down, take a picture of it, and just before you go to work, before you step into that tense meeting, before you interact with your kids, I don't know what it is for you, that you would just pray this sincerely before God. And that maybe, just maybe, God would answer your prayer. And that on the end of this week that you would be able to look back and say, you know what, not because of anything I have done or not how good I am, but I saw Jesus help me be unselfish this week. I didn't manage my selfishness. I didn't have to try to hide it or count to ten. I actually saw Jesus start to do something in me and transform this area that has been something I've just tried to manage all my life. No longer are we going to manage sin, but let's just decide we're going to declare war. We're going to believe the scriptures and obey the scriptures and trust the scriptures. Let's see what happens. Let's pray. As we close, maybe you're online or you're here with us this morning. Maybe you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say, you know what, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. You're here, and you're investigating faith, and, and if you're honest, you've tried to fill a void in your life, and, and it just kind of continues to be empty. And, and honestly, a lot of us have been there. And today, as, as we talked about who Jesus is and what he did for us by coming to earth and giving his life, not for his own sin, not for his own disobedience, but for ours. Maybe inside you, you just feel this prick to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe there's something inside of you that, man, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I just feel this prick to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you'd say, how do I do that, Chris? Well, it's simple. Just right where you're at, whether you're online or you're here this morning, would you be willing to just between you and God right now, just from your heart to his, just tell him, God, I admit to you that I've disobeyed you. Just tell him. God, I admit to you that I've done things my own way. Just tell him. And then just tell him, God, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Just tell God from your heart to his. And then just invite. Say, all right, God, I pray that you would come into my life. I want you to transform me. God, I'm, I'm coming to you now. And I'm telling you, your way is best. I want a relationship with you. Just tell God. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you did that, you just prayed, you just talked to God from your heart. You started a relationship with God. Now, we would love to know about that. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a card there, decision card that you can fill out 
If you have questions, love to have those. Write those down. If you're here with us this morning, there's a decision card right in front of you. You can take that out and just fill it out. Drop it in the offering basket on your way out. And and what we'll do, we're just going to contact you this week, one of us, and just want to answer questions you might have, help you understand your decision. We'd love to just kind of rejoice with you on the decision that you've made. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and and like a lot of us, you've made that. You've already done that. You've already started a relationship with God. Well, do do you struggle with selfishness? And if so, are you okay with that? If not, would you be willing this morning to be honest with God about your struggle and take a step toward victory? Maybe for you, it's asking someone for forgiveness. Someone maybe close to you that you've just been selfish to. And maybe the first step towards walking in humility is just asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's setting aside some time in your day because you've been real selfish with your time. And you haven't set aside time in your day to spend with Jesus. And so for you, that first step is saying, all right. I'm going to set aside this time and I'm going to spend it with Jesus. I'm going to read the scriptures. Maybe it's something tangible like, hey, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in in the community. I'm going to join a team at church. I'm going to do something to to serve someone in my home. I'm, I'm going to tangibly serve. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, but whatever God is saying to you, would you be willing to say yes? You're not accountable for my yes, and I'm not accountable for your yes. Every one of us is accountable to say yes to whatever God is laying on our hearts. Would you say yes? God, I pray that you would help all of us. Lord, we, every one of us, struggle with selfishness. Probably, I know I have, we've struggled with it today. And God, I pray that we would not manage it, that it would not become okay, but that we would lean into you, that we would fight for humility, that we would lean into you, and, 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 and Lord, that you would help us put other people first, that you would help us have your mindset. In Jesus' name, amen.